go whenever. Good evening, and thank you for listening to the Swingers PJ Podcast. My name is Harrison, here with my brother Mason, here to talk about some exciting golf for this upcoming week. Uh, Mace, how are we doing this evening, brother? I'm doing well, ready to talk about a couple tournaments we got this week. Um, last week, obviously, we had off, so ready to get back into it. Yeah, it's been a little while now. Um, we thought about doing a podcast last week, but we just weren't really too sure about what was going to transpire over in Japan. Uh, we could only really speculate. I suppose all of this is speculation, but we could only truly speculate in the true nature of speculating about uh, about the Olympics. But yeah, it was taken by Xander Shoffley. It was super, uh, super exciting to watch. I'm glad he won. Mace, do you have any thoughts on what happened uh, over in Japan? Well, it was obviously pretty heartwarming. He talked about how his dad it, or was has has been his swing coach his entire life, and I believe it was like one of his dad's big goals to win the Olympics or something like that. But I yeah, heard it was pretty, just really important it, to his dad, which was cool. It's a pretty uh, it's a pretty cool story because not only that, his dad I think was going to be a triathlete, a triathlete, um, and was involved in a pretty serious car accident, which prevented him from uh, potentially qualifying to the olympics so it was something like you said that meant a lot to his dad and uh and he went out there and performed so it, it was good to see and I, and I saw some other comments too from from other guys you know it's really weird i can't imagine being in their position and and having the chance to win uh, a medal in the olympics and kind of just sort of overlook it and not take it seriously but that's kind of where some players were at like rory before the tournament said something to the effect of He's not a very patriotic guy, um, and th- that's one example. He went out and played well, and, and, and then after the tournament, he said that you know his eyes were really open to the Olympics, um, and you know he was kind of just uh, maybe said some things on impulse, but it really changed his mind. Justin Thomas had a similar comment and said uh, his you know this was maybe his favorite tournament that he'd ever been a part of in the Olympic Village, etc. So you know, hopefully going forward. Uh, we can continue to have really strong Olympic golf tournaments because it is exciting to watch and, and just the way it comes down with the medal format is uh, is unique and fun. Yeah, it, I thought it was pretty cool. They went into like a seven-way tie for the bronze medal, like a playoff, yeah. and I thought that was pretty fun to watch. Just, you know, I, crazy stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was fun. I was asleep by then. I was so tired on what was Saturday night slash Sunday morning. I, I couldn't I couldn't stay up, but as soon as I looked at my phone, I was like, wow, couldn't believe that it happened. There were some guys that made some huge surges, which was totally possible. Like Rory Sabatini threw in a crazy number on on his final round and got up for the, the silver medal. Um, and uh, some other guys, you know, fell off. It, it's interesting. I'd heard uh, some other uh, golf analysts I think it was Jason Sobel or, or somebody on the Action Network talk about how they saw a lot of comparisons uh, to the Masters and the the course at Augusta. Uh, so it was really a uh, – I think that, that that must have been a, a pretty good assessment because it looked like for a while there that it was going to come down to Xander and Hideki sort of like it did uh, in Georgia earlier this year. So um, – yeah, that uh, obviously didn't materialize like that, but it easily could have. 
For sure, for sure. Um, and then one other guy that we obviously have to talk about is is our boy Mito, who Mito, Mito, was Mito. in Mito, Mr. Mito. Mito Pereira was a, one of the seven men involved in that uh, in that tiebreaker for bronze. Played super well, which was which was great to see a player that we've had our eyes on for several weeks now and just looking to break through. So uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on him going forward. Any uh, any final thoughts before we talk about what is ahead of us? No, I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay, so this weekend we uh, we are uh, fortunate to have two PGA events. Um, we've got uh, the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, and then the the Reno Tahoe Open, which I believe they're calling the uh, Barracuda uh, Championship, which is an alternative scoring. Uh, tournament so we've got a little bit of some some interesting golf that will take place this weekend i think the uh from a viewing perspective more eyes will be drawn to the uh the saint jude invitational which will take place in southeast memphis at tpc Southwind. it's a 7200 yard ish course uh and it, this is a tournament that attracts the the top talent from across the world a lot of the players that even just playing the Olympics are gonna are going to make their way to this tournament. It has a almost eleven million dollar purse, so there's uh, plenty of reasons to uh, to make your way to uh, Southwest Tennessee for this for this event. Mace, tell me about your opening thoughts about this tournament. Um, this uh, there's a lot of for me this this tournament really has a couple main factors, and a lot of the guys that I've looked at this week and kind of honed in on have had previous success at this event in the past. So I think that's one thing that uh, could play pretty crucial. But, you know, uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is a, an event that had merged between some of a couple of events that had taken place over, you know, different courses. So for the past two years, in 2020 and 2019, it's been played at TPC Southwind. Um but then prior to that, there had been some part of this event that had been played at, the, at Firestone CC South course. Um, and, uh, and prior to that, let's see here, this, it was called, it's going to take me a second to just track this down. I think it was just called the FedEx. Yeah, it was called the FedEx St. Jude Classic. Uh, and so that was in... 2018 and now obviously we've merged to the wgc fedex st jude invitational and um but yeah i mean for the most part this is this seems to be a course that is more challenging uh in 2018 dustin johnson put up a minus 19 but really other than that probably a score between like 10 and 15 under is going to do it for you which is um you know, compared to some other really high scoring tournaments, um, perhaps a little bit more of a challenging course. Uh, and I think that that reflects too, and the guys who have won this tournament over the course of the years, we, there, there hasn't really been too many shocking results uh, in this spot. Dustin Johnson's won it twice. Daniel Berger has won it twice. Harris English, if I had to guess at the time was, I think that was in 2013, but he probably would be the longest shot you could find over recent times. Brooks Kepka and Dustin, uh, Justin Thomas have won this thing. Um, I took a look at uh, the, the 
the variation in in scoring um, and what has driven variation over the years. And this tournament has been pretty much just right on par with tour average. It doesn't really deviate in in any sort of way than than what you're used to. So, which makes sense. It's going to take a very well rounded golfer to win this thing. It's not going to favor um, ball strikers or putters any more than it usually would. Which means we can almost just handicap this thing pretty straight up. I think. Um, uh, any any thoughts on any of that stuff? Um, not particularly. No. Uh, just ready to get into some picks. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's do that, and uh, move straight into the uh, the odds board here, which is pretty straightforward. Maybe a couple of shocking things. Let's talk about the guys at the top of the market in the teens. Uh, that'll be Brooks Kepka at twelve to one, Ma- uh, Colin Morikawa, Xander Shoffley at fourteen to one, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, sixteen to one, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, eighteen to one. So those uh, those top of the market guys relatively lumped in together. Do you have any thoughts on the top of the market guys? Do you have um, a player that you want to uh, hone in on? And it doesn't surprise you any of those players at those specific numbers. Um, uh, there's a few guys in there that I'll, I'll mention that I don't like really at all. Um, Rory and JT, both two guys who I'm not very high on for the price at the moment. Um. Rory hasn't really played good golf in a while now and is, is just kind of honestly really been struggling. So, you know, that I don't, I don't like him at the price. JT, kind of a little bit of the same. Hasn't really played uh, to his, his ability that we've seen really since the players. Um, Xander Shoffley, obviously just won gold. Maybe we'll have a little bit of a hangover. Who knows? I don't know if he'll be able to get it done. Uh, Colin Morikawa, confident in him, but um, who knows? Still maybe... A little bit hungover from the U.S. Open win. Two guys that I really do like are DJ and Brooks, both guys who I kind of mentioned earlier have won the tournament in the past. I believe Brooks won in 2019 and then got second last year, and he's he's had seven starts at this event, like before all the mergers and stuff. Like, and in those yeah. in right. those events, he's finished inside the top five more times than he's finished outside of the top five which mm-hmm. I think is pretty wild. And, I mean, he's he's in form, he's coming off fourth, fifth, and sixth place pin- finishes. So um, there's a guy that I'm definitely looking at, uh, probably for a top five. I'm not really sure about the win just yet. My, if I had to pick a winner, he probably would be it, but uh, not super confident on it, especially at the price of 12-1, to 1, hard to buy in on that. And then DJ, uh, I like a lot. He's a two-time winner, has two top 10s, and then a 12th and 20th place at this event since he's been playing it. And at 18-1, to 1, I mean, it's solid price. Not, again, my favorite, but I might be able to uh, get in with that. Yeah, I totally I totally understand where you're coming from. And I, I think the thing that will prevent me from really trying to buy in on any of these guys at the top of the market. It's just the question marks surrounding them. I think kind of like, kind of like you mentioned with the hangover, it's going to be so hard to be able to tell who's going to travel well back from Japan. Um, you know, but then some other guys who didn't go to Japan who are well rested, are they going to come into this thing fresh? 
um, even if they and be able to play well, even if even if that's true, but they don't have any form, et cetera. So I kind of I like where your head is at. I will say I, I was surprised at first to see that Brooks was the favorite until I found out about the course history. And he does come in fresh compared to Colin, Xander, uh, Justin Thomas, and Dustin Johnson comes in fresh as well. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think really, I don't know if I'm interested in any of these guys um, at the price, but yeah, I, I, I think maybe Dustin and Colin would be the two that I would be interested in, but I don't think that would be any sort of major play for me. Okay, let's move on to the guys in uh, the 20s and 30s. Uh, that is Daniel Berger, Louis Ustazen at 22, Bryson DeChambeau 25, along with Hideki Matsuyama, Patrick Cantlay, Victor Hovland, Scotty Schuffer 30 to 1, Matt Fitzpatrick 33, along with Paul Casey, Webb Simpson. Um, and then uh, at 40 to 1, we've got Cam Smith, Patrick Reed, Shane Lowry, and Tony Finau. Tony Finau uh, is one guy that uh, I've seen a lot kind of floating around. Uh, I'm not super high on him, but uh, a lot of the guys that I've looked at have have been high, so he's definitely a guy I'd watch. And then a couple others, um, big, big power fade on on Bryson. His head has not been with golf recently. It's been all over the place. I don't, I, I can't, until he starts really kind of, performing and shows it uh, I can't get behind him at all and at 28 to 1 just can't work with that two guys I do like uh, Daniel Berger is someone who I was very high on probably one of my top three guys DJ Brooks and Daniel are all three that I I if I had to pick a winner would definitely be one of those three like we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier he he's won this event twice and loves the course so a little bit of confidence there and then Louis's been playing good golf recently, but who knows if he'll show up to play because, you know, we've talked about it before on this podcast where he has a tendency to kind of just, you know, be lackadaisical and show up and not really care. So it depends on really what Louis we see. I mean, if he's on his game, he's, you know, second place every single time. But, you know, it just depends on uh, what, what Louis shows up that day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Daniel Berger as you mentioned, is a player who is uh, kind of a horse for course. He's a good player, don't get me wrong, but his track record here is super strong, so he's an intriguing prospect at the number. <clears throat> All right, um, and uh, let's see here. 40-1, to I uh, mentioned a couple of those guys, so let's bounce up to 50-1. to one. Abraham Anser, Corey Connors, Harris English, uh, Joaquin Neiman, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Tyrell Hatton, uh, Will Zalatoris. Do any of those names interest you, or is there anybody uh, at a long shot number that you might be interested in? Two, I, honestly, for this tournament, I'm not too high on the middle of the table. Uh, I This week, I just feel like the winner is going to be from that top half. But it's a couple guys that um, kind of gave me or gave me a little bit of confidence. Hauke Neiman, a guy who we've been high on on this podcast. We'll see what he does at, at the number, though. I think it's, it's worth taking a little shot at him and then one guy who's a little bit higher up uh at plus seven thousand brian Harmon, uh another guy who i see a little bit of value in and might as well give him a shot and then one guy who is way way down the board who i don't think will win but wouldn't be shocked if he made a top 20 top 10 
uh, throw a little couple bucks on him for for a, a show there or a place there or whatever. And that's Max Homa at 125 to one, which um, obviously he's dealt dealt with some issues, but um, a big big personality has been is very active on social media and stuff like that. It's just kind of a, a fun guy to watch. So at the price, it's uh, throwing a top 20 on him. I don't think uh, is outrageous. Yeah, why not? Uh, it's not a huge field, and uh, you know anything can happen. I think, like you said, I, th- I think on this sort of diff- difficult golf course, uh, it, it, it may not be the worst idea to rely on top of the market guys. Um, I will say one player in that mid range that uh, that tends to play well on uh, in this sort of environment would be Abraham Answer. Might look to him to try to get him in a top ten or a top five, something like that. Um, and then Harris English at 50 to one as well as a player who's won here in the past and is in form comes off of a little bit of a break. Maybe he's fresh. Um, I don't think he'd be a terrible bet at 50 to one outside of that. Yeah. I think home is not a crazy idea. Uh, Stuart sink has had a good year, um, in his, in his age outside of that. I don't really see anybody, you know, at a crazy number that's going to be able to pull it off. Um, but but yeah, that's all I've really got um, for that tournament. But uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, conclude with? Not really. I feel like for this is really the first tournament in a while. I mean, excluding the Open, where I feel like it's it's been a strong field where we've really be able to been able to get a good look and handicap pretty well. Because I feel like really before that, it was kind of just five or six cupcake tournaments in a row. So it's it's good yeah. to have a tournament with a lot of those top guys in. Makes it a, a a little bit more interesting and easier to handicap for guys like us. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, really, just the main question marks. It's just you know who's going to get you know who's going to be good off the bench and who is going to be able to travel and uh, and kick off that jet lag uh, to be able to win one back here in the United States. Okay, so now we're going to move on uh, to our next tournament which is the Barracuda, which will take place in the Tahoe Mountain Club's Old Greenwood course. It is a Jack Nicklaus course um, that was founded in 1999. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it is an alternate event for the PGA Tour with alternate scoring. Uh, so uh, I don't really know necessarily what, what that means, but uh, it it'll certainly make for an interesting tournament. So it's you, they use the modified stable forward scoring system. And what that is, is it's a, uh, it's strokes, uh, that their points are awarded in relation to par. So eight points are awarded for an albatross five for an Eagle two for a birdie zero for a par negative one for a bogey and negative three for a bogey or worse. So you could completely blow up and still only go minus three. But of course, in this instance, you want to accumulate as many points as you can. A positive number is better. And uh, basically the way that they use this kind of scoring is because it uh, encourages aggressive play. A birdie is worth plus two, whereas a bogey is only worth minus one. So obviously it's just counterintuitive to a traditional scoring where if you get a birdie, you basically go minus one 
and a bogey is plus one. It's one for one outside of par, but in this instance, you basically double, you get the double amount of scoring for each birdie that you make. So what I take from this is that you want to find players that are capable of making birdies and eagles in bunches um, and aren't afraid to really go for it. Uh, and I, that sort of player is going to, to be able to win a tournament like this. Now, with that said, this isn't a, a style that really anybody is super familiar with. So I think that it, it's good to tread lightly. I don't think there's any reason to go and make a huge play um, on this tournament. But with that said, you know, I think it's worth maybe taking a stab at some guys who, you know, could really light up the scoreboard. Um, and I think a good place to start with that after looking at the top of the board is our guy Mito Pereira, who is listed at uh, he's listed at 18 to one this week, which to my memory is the highest he's ever been listed. You know, we're used to betting this guy in on the PGA tour at what? hundred that eight. Yeah. 80 to hundred to one range where now he's one of the favorites. But I think that this tournament really does suit him because he is so capable tee to green and usually his putter is what lets him down. So uh, 18 to one is super short, but he may be worth a bet this week. Let's run through this odds, this odds board real quick so that we can, we can throw some names out there and think about some guys that we would be interested in. So Mito 18, Brandon Grace is the 16 to one outright favorite. Emiliano Grillo, Maverick McNeely, and Mito are at 18. Gary Woodland, 22. Aaron Wise, 25. Along with Troy Merritt, Patrick Rogers, Rogers 28. Brent Schnedeker, 33. I assume that, that that doesn't surprise you at all. No, not really. Um, a few of those guys, uh, to me, uh, like we talked about, Mito, Maverick McNeely, uh, obviously stick out to me immediately. Um, then there's one other guy who's a little bit lower at 35 to one, Thomas Peters, who is a Belgian, I believe, who mm -hmm. really intrigued me. But again, I feel like this is a tournament that's really hard to to predict. You know, this this new scoring is unfamiliar. I mean, we've never really seen a lot of these players play like it. And then, kind of as we've talked about the past few podcasts, it's it's a tournament where anything can happen. Any anyone mm -hmm. can win, really. And so that, yeah. that adds another level to it. So it, it, you know, some of those names might excite, but it, it, it could go anyway. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, who knows? I, yeah, I think that I will probably make a bet on, on Mito, but it, it's, it's hard to, it's going to be hard for me to wrap my head around betting in some of these guys at these prices, right? Because it's probably due to, you know, previous bias it's like i'm used to betting any of these guys that i'm interested in perhaps in a regular tournament they'd be two or three maybe even uh four times the price than they are now and i have to convince myself right it's like hv3 is a player that we we've been interested in in the past and you know our argument is basically okay let's bet him at in that 80 to 100 to 1 range and he's worth a sh you know he's worth a shot at that price but this week he's 45 to 1 he's half the price of what he usually is 
am I going to be able to come to terms with, with doing that? I don't know. So, you know, for me, I mean, I may throw some just like action bets on some of these guys and just, and see how it goes. Um, and those names would include Mito. I think it's probably my top play at 18-1, although fully admit, I don't know if there's any value on that, but he's a player that's in form. Some other guys that intrigue me, HV3 at 45-1, to one. Um, Joel Damon, 50-1, to one. Uh, Kyle Stanley, 55-1, to one, and Brendan Steele, 66-1. to one. And then I'll continue to uh, I'll continue to chase um, – my guy John Pack for as long as I can to try to get him in a in a spot because he's gonna he's gonna pop eventually. So. He's even lower this week than he has been in the past. He's at two hundred fifty to one. It's like usually. Oh, remember, remember last week I snagged him at five hundred to one, and by the by the time he went off, I think he was like two hundred to one. So he got bet down super hard. But. Yeah, but I feel like in the before that, I feel like he was in the a hundred to a hundred twenty five to one range. So yeah, just the price going up, I, th- I thought was a little interesting. For sure. But yeah, other than that, um, I don't know if I really have too much to to say on that. Hopefully, maybe next week we can revisit the the Barracuda, and then next week, or excuse me, next year, hopefully we'll have a better grasp just from how this this tournament shakes out. But from a, a handicapping perspective, I think it's super unpredictable, and I'm not willing to to gamble on something that really could go so many different ways. Of course, a gol- any golf tournament can, um, but I, I definitely want to take more calculated risks than this one. So uh, do you have any closing thoughts? I actually do have one question for you. Um, do you think this, this kind of scoring format is good for golf, and do you think it will be used more for bigger tournaments in the future? Yeah, that's a good question, and um, – I mean, really, I don't know. <clears throat> um, I I don't have really any data to pull on this. But as golf grows, I think it's a good thing to continue to try new and fun things that keep people interested in watching it. Now, with that said, I don't know with the people that are, you know, that, that really are, <clears throat> who knows? The, the people that really watch golf may just be completely content with their stroke play every single week. Um, but I always find it fun to just have that once a year, have that unique event, whether it be this um, this type of scoring um, or the the partner events, which its name is is I can't remember right now, but it was taken by Cam Smith and Leishman. Mm-hmm. They were the Aussies. You know that was fun. I just think that it kind of I think that it kind of shakes things up and it makes it more intriguing for your everyday not necessarily your golf fanatic to be able to turn it on. So, um, you know, I hope, I hope for the sake of this, you know, I hope that they try to do, you know, stuff like this more often. Um, I will say from a scoring perspective, like with FedEx points and qualifications, it makes things awkward because it basically, it's not necessarily a legitimate form of, you know, gaining points or whatever they they have trouble deciding okay if we're going to do scoring this way well this person will get fedex points but they can't qualify for you know future pga events they don't they don't get exemptions for majors because the scoring was not 
typical. Mm-hmm. So it does it does create logistical problems there. But I think overall, you know, this is the alternative. This is the alternative event for the weekend. Put it on, see if you can get more viewers, more ratings than you would have otherwise. And who knows, maybe you can, and it's fun. So that's my answer to that, long-winded, but that's about how I feel about that. Gotcha. Well, are we ready to wrap it up with a uh, DraftKings lineup? Sure, I'll go ahead and hop into that. So this week's DraftKings uh, episode or lineup for me, I think is pretty interesting. Uh, I, I like the lineup overall. I feel like I was able to get some guys that I'm confident in and get some guys really kind of low down the, the board. And we'll start off with the, with the top guy, and that's Brooks Kepka at uh, 10060 Um, Obviously, takes a big chunk out of the budget. But, I mean, still, I believe there was someone at 1200 so for me, that's a, a solid price, and especially because t- to me, he's probably my favorite to win this tournament, um, along with DJ and Daniel Berger. And that leads me to my next guy, Daniel Berger at 9,200. I, I feel really confident being able to snag both Brooks and Daniel Berger for this tournament for a relatively solid pricing. Could be worse, but at 9,200, I think Daniel Berger is a great price. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, his success at, at this event has uh, speaks for itself, really. And then the next four, kind of dicey, just because I kind of balled out at the top. I had to spend a, a little bit less for the rest of the lineup, but still I feel like I got some solid some solid guys. And next up is Hauke Neiman at 8,400, guy who we mentioned earlier, guy who we've been high on. Thought, go ahead and stick one for him. And... Then moving down to 7,500, Brian Harmon, who I also talked about earlier, at the price again, kind of kind of like his 71 in the regular uh, betting. Uh, I just see a little bit of value in in the price, and then the last two are a little shaky, but we'll go ahead and roll with it. And that's uh, Billy Horschel at 7,100 and Max Homa at 6,700. I feel a lot better at the at the price for Max Homa at 6,700. I feel like he, he to me he's the best value pick, really long shot pick for this tournament at 120 to 25 to one regularly. So I thought why not put him in there and see what happens. Um, it'll be a big payout if he comes through. Yeah, I think I really like your lineup. Might have to I might have to give it a stab myself. I think those guys at the top they're expensive, but I think that the it's a super reliable uh, play playing those guys with their course history, et cetera. I don't see I don't see a scenario where both of those guys don't make the cut. I think that they'll both play well. And then the, I think there's just an immense amount of value on some of the other guys that you picked. Max Homa, um, Joaquin. I thought they both offered. I was really surprised that you would you that you'd be able to snag Brooks uh, and Berger. And then whenever you said your third was Joaquin, I was like, how there's no way he's gonna be able to fit uh, another couple players, but so great job on that. Um, I look forward to seeing how that does for you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like so far I've been able to put some pretty solid DraftKings lineups together. That that open championship lineup was absurd and did it did insanely well. I think I had, I mean, I had here. Let's just flip back to it. Um, had Louis, who was third, had 
Um, Spieth, who was second, had Scheffler, who finished like sixth or something. And then the rest uh, had two guys, I think, two English guys, Fitzpatrick and Poulter, who were like both finished 20th. I think I had one guy miss the cut, but I mean, like, it was... I don't think I, I couldn't have picked it any better, really. And so hopefully yeah. hopefully this week I can do something similar. Um, not yeah. as confident in as that that lineup I thought was – I knew going into it, I was like, there's no way this lineup fails. It's it's constructed to a T. We'll see how this week goes, though. Well, I've got faith in you to keep this ball rolling. I hope so. Um, I hope so. So I guess it's about time to wrap this thing up. Do you, do you have anything that uh, – that you have before we need to conclude. No, no. All right. Well, thanks uh, again for all of our listeners who have decided to give their time to listen to the PGA uh, Swingers podcast. Um, we greatly appreciate your time for listening. And uh, we look forward to making more podcasts uh, in the future. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of just to reiterate what Harrison said, um, we, we appreciate all of you, uh, especially you know taking time out of your day to listen to a couple couple guys talk about golf. So we really appreciate it. Well, we hope that you all have a good uh, rest of your week, and uh, we look forward to, uh, uh, to giving you another episode next week. So thanks again for listening, and uh, take care.